This is episode number 25 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on security. So more in particular, we're going to be focusing on authentication security in your web applications. We're going to be looking at two-factor authentication and some of the approaches that you can use towards using them in your own applications. So whether that be SMS or time-based passwords or even hardware keys. With me on the show today, I have Luke Walker from Ubico. Um, so you might be familiar with Yubico because they make the very popular YubiKey, uh, which was featured on many tech blogs, uh, as well as I think Google even uh, gave a shout out because of how they use it within their own organization. Um, so it, it's a popular hardware key um, and a very popular company. With that said, enjoy the show. Everyone, I'm with Luke Walker, and we're going to be talking about two-factor authentication in your web applications. But before we get into the core uh, content of the topic, I want to give Luke a chance to introduce himself. So how are you doing, Luke? Hey, Nick. Yeah, my name is Luke Walker, and I lead and manage the developer program at Yubico. And we kind of focus on providing guidance and support for developers who are building strong authentication into their apps and want to work with YubiKeys. So are you more like uh, in developer relations then? Yeah, that's, you can kind of think of it that way. I like to, uh, we have an engineering uh, group, of uh, really smart guys in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, I kind of help amplify what... Uh, what they produce. And then I am also in, in contact with other enterprises as they're trying to build out uh, products to support uh, the strong authentication. And I kind of the, can be the voice of the customer back. So, yeah. So, so you're kind of playing the role of developer relations and uh, solutions architect then. Correct. Or solutions yep. engineer. That's kind of awesome. in between that. Yep. And, and you're not in Sweden, right? No, I'm uh, Yubico's headquarters is in Palo Alto and I am in their Seattle office. Awesome. What kind of projects are you working on, maybe either at Yubico or personally? Yeah, so I, the main thing that uh, I'm really interested in, in is rolling out more of the this FIDO2 web authentication uh, uh, to kind of raise the security bar of web apps and mobile apps and kind of bring this, this desired uh, state that we have for strong authentication and securing the, the internet, just trying to make that more real a little bit every every day yeah and i i I hear about uh fido 2 all the time lately and i I definitely want to get into that as we progress through this this particular episode um but why don't we just take a step back and maybe you kind of give me an overview of uh, what two-factor authentication is i know that even though this is a developer podcast um i know a lot of people they hear about it more from just an end user perspective but uh, why don't you give your story first, and then we'll jump into the, the technical details. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the, the security reports that are coming out these days, or just watch the news, you, you see that uh, about 81% of uh, breaches of online accounts is involve stolen credentials. So that's typically like a username and password. And so like if you just if you have an online account that's just using a username and password, 
Um, typically, they want you know, a service will want it to be a strong password, but those can be difficult to remember. And uh, once you have uh, like more than, I don't know, seven or 10 passwords, you may start reusing them across different sites. Um, and that will just can cause a cascade if one gets compromised and those credentials get uh, leaked onto the internet, then your other accounts that use those same uh, username and passwords will would also be vulnerable. And how how are uh, accounts becoming compromised nowadays? Yeah, so this could be happening by a server breach. Like if if the company is not um, maintaining good security hygiene, uh, then you the people will infiltrate and extract uh, like the database that contains usernames and passwords. Even if those passwords are uh, encrypted, you you can still um, there's tools that that can decrypt those if they're, if depending on the, the level of encryption used. Um, and also, uh, your, your, a password basically, you know, is a shared secret between yourself and the, uh, the service. And, uh, you got to protect that over, um, over the, over the wires it's sent over the network. So there's ways to fish that like, uh, and it, you can inadvertently expose your credentials. It's called a phishing attack where, you know, you might get an email from somebody and it redirects you to that you don't know that redirects you to a site that looks like your bank. And so you type in your username and password and now they've they have it. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So then so then where does two factor come into the play? What I mean, why yeah. what, what what was done to kind of better secure users from a, I guess, from an end user perspective first. Yeah. 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 So in response to these security breaches and uh, then two factor authentication was kind of has been put in place and we're, I'm sure we're all familiar with it. Like if you have a bank card, your, your card is, is a factor authentication factor. You have to physically have the card, right? If you go up to the ATM wanting to withdraw money and you also have to have a pin, which is kind of like a password, which is a, a like a factor of something that, you know, so it's it's by combining uh, these the multiple factors, uh, like something that you know, like a pin or a password, with something that you have, which could be like a um, like a card, um, a, a YubiKey, like a security key, could be like a uh, an OTP dongle that you know maybe goes on your keychain and you push a button and it gives you a one time password that you might type into VPN into your uh you, your network um and then there's also the fact the authentication factor of who you are uh if you, you know face facial recognition uh fingerprints those can also be used as an authentication factor so you mentioned dongles you mentioned yubikeys you mentioned pins you mentioned uh, a lot of different things what would you say nowadays are kind of the the, the norm or the standard when it comes to two factor um i assume that it's not everything that that you can probably think of there's probably um, a select few categories, right? Or maybe I'm wrong. No, yeah, yeah. If you look at the most popular forms of second factor authentication, it's going to be your phone. So you'll get an you know, a, a SMS code texted to you that you enter into the website. Um, so that kind of proves you are because you have your phone. Um, and then there's also like the authenticator apps that you have on your phone. Those you, maybe you'll take a to, to register an authenticator app, you might take a picture of a QR code and then uh, every 30 seconds or so, a new one-time password is regenerated and you can use those as to kind of prove 
uh, who you are. Uh, and, uh, and there's mobile push is another one where, you know, maybe it asks for a code, maybe not. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of different methods for, for implementing 2FA, but they don't all have the same level of security assurance. So can, can you shed some more light on that? Then uh, like, what would you consider to be um, from the lowest end of the spectrum as, as I guess, least secure versus the most secure when it comes to two-factor? Yeah, so we so we have, we've mentioned YubiKeys, we've mentioned mobile SMS, um, we've mentioned mobile push. So let's just kind of maybe walk through a scenario to sure. see how how these things may or may not be, you know, how, how they can be vulnerable. Yeah. So if you think about um, like a, an SMS code or a uh, even a mobile push or or a password, right? These are kind of shared secrets. The the server may generate the code and send it to you if 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 it's a SMS code, and then you have to enter that secret back in through you know the web browser or whatever, uh, and or your password. You're typing in your password. It's it's a shared secret model. And then so if you're we go back to that previous example, um, you get an email from somebody you don't know, and maybe it looks like your bank. Uh, so you click it, and let's say that's the attacker's website. It looks exactly like your login screen, and you type in your username and, and password. Sure. Well, what can be happening behind the scenes is that they, the this attacker's site is act is is actively taking your username and password that you just typed in and forwarding that to the real banking site. So now they've logged in, they've they've forwarded your username and your password, and the and They've attempted to log in as you to your account, and then you get uh, your account is protected by 2FA. Uh, so let's say it's a mobile push or a uh, uh, an SMS code. You get an SMS code sent to your phone, and you you type that into the the attacker's website. It looks exactly like the the bank's, let's for instance, and they just uh, the hacker just forwards that SMS code onto the real site, and now they've uh, They've successfully logged in and have, you know, have taken over your account, right? So, so generally with these SMS codes, do they like generally expire? Or are they open-ended until you use them kind of thing? Generally, they expire. Yep. So are, they, it, are they within like a, a very long time, like maybe an hour or some, something that would give the attacker long enough time to, to, to be successful? Yeah, it it really depends on uh, on the service on how they're doing it. Um, but yeah, it, if if it's this is real time, then right they've they've collected um, basically from their machine. They've collected after they've logged in and taken over your account. They've collected the cookie, right? Sure. So maybe your your bank only prompts you for two FA on devices that are unknown. Yeah. Or or whatnot. So now they have that cookie. So even if they're not sitting there at the computer real time waiting for you know victims they they could potentially use like a cookie like sso to log into the site again at another date got it so then in these scenarios like say i guess since this is uh, i guess the weakest scenario for for two-factor is it is it useless to even have it all enabled um if it's just sms i i would say that um two-factor authentication is better than no factor (laughs) sure authentication or one like one factor like your password so 
uh, yeah, but it it like it doesn't uh, prevent like we mentioned phishing attacks, or replay attacks, or server breaches potentially. So these these are these are um, a step up from just a password. Sure. Um, but if you're if you want to secure you know sensitive data uh, like um, health records or your finances or your primary email account, which most of your other accounts password reset flow works through yep um then you're going to want to s- secure that account at a higher authentication level authentication assurance level so then if if you go to the next level beyond sms what what would be the next safe uh factor when it comes to two factor yeah so this is where kind of the the yubikey comes in uh so so then why don't you give some background on the yubikey then yeah so um Basically, the 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 founders of Yubico, um approached, uh, kind of figured out this this universal second factor U two F authentication and, uh, and registration flow, and uh, brought it to Google and uh, and then kind of found wanted to make an open standard for this so that it, the rest of the internet could help secure their accounts at this higher authentication level. And founded the FIDO Alliance, and this is where the FIDO U2F kind of protocol came from. And so that's when you have a security key like a, a YubiKey, that's kind of how, how it all got started. If you had the Chrome browser and you maybe you were using wanted to protect your Gmail account, you could register a security key. And so this is a hardware key, right? Yes. So what this it's it's that the something that you have factor. But in, it differs from uh, a password or the one-time, one-time password uh, flows that we were talking about earlier. Yep. It instead uses public key cryptography. So then let me, let me jump in real fast before we go any further. So okay. how, how exactly does this differ? Because I know there's other hardware type keys on the market. I think, uh, I mean, we won't get into competitors or anything, but I think Duo might have a, a hardware key that generates codes. How is that different? Yeah, so that that's where we're kind of getting back to this shared secret. Sure. So if you if you have like a one of those like OTP dongles, yes, where it's generating a one time password, sure, uh, and then you're entering in the code, the that dongle has, or if it's a maybe you know could be authenticator app or whatever, has a secret that it's protecting, and the uh, the server that you're logging into has also has that same secret. So you have to protect that secret on both ends, and if one person uh, loses the 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 secret, or then you're you're gonna have to regenerate that, and that can be kind of a painful process. And it's not entirely um, visible that you know it 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 could have been breached. The secret could have been breached, right? Yeah. So with when you when you look at public key cryptography, this is using asymmetric cryptography. So there, there's no secrets exchanged between the service that you're trying to log into and the hardware device that uh, token kind of that you have. Sure. That's, so then, that's then, the main difference. So then let's let's talk more about the YubiKey then. Um, so I guess first of all, you call it a universal two-factor device. Yep, correct? that's how it got started. Yep. So what what does it mean to be a universal two-factor device exactly? Is it just just the fact of being hardware key? Uh, with asymmetric uh, encryption, or is it uh, is it encryption or sign- signing? Both. Both. All right. Yeah, both. Yeah. So 
Um, yeah, so basically the the U2F, the FIDO U2F is a standard, sure. uh, an open standard where any, you know, uh, hardware uh, or co- any company could develop their own um, device as well. And um, and the way it works is you've, we've already mentioned, you've got the uh, a server and you've got a hardware piece, right? Your hardware uh, device, but yes. there's a third component in that sits in between called the client. Sure. And and in U2F, it was it, this is Chrome, right? So, uh, what what happens behind the scenes? I can I can go I can start diving into uh, the yeah, technical details about how registration and authentication works. Yeah, well, please, I, I'd love that. All right. So with U2F, basically, you know, if you, if you try to summarize it. You'll you'll type in your your username and password, and then your uh, your online service will then uh, want to challenge your identity to prove who you are. And w- the way that works is it'll send a a challenge, is what it's called in the spec, which is just some random uh, bytes to prevent the replay attack. And that's sent to your browser, and your browser uh, validates that you, uh, the site that it's coming from, and it. Uh, gives that uh, challenge to your hardware device. And then you'll see like with the YubiKey, you'll see a light flashing. Yes. And you'll, that, that indicates that uh, it, it needs a touch. It's got a little touch capacitor to complete the circuit. And that basically tells um, uh, the online service that there was a human in the loop, that there's actually someone who touched this hardware device. Sure. And so you, you touch that device and what happens is this, this authenticator, which you've previously registered with your account it during that registration process, it generated a private key and it gave the public key to the service. Right. So, so what, what you get is the, the, the YubiKey signs the challenge from the server with the private key. And that that produces a signature, right? Yes. And that response is sent back to the server who has the public key for this um, U2F credential that was generated earlier. And so you got the public key and you got the data, the challenge that you sent, and you got the signature. And you can validate that um, and prove possession that this person has the private key. Now, now... Let me let me jump in because I have questions out of this. Sure. So first of all, the challenge that comes from the server um, can that should that be kept secret? Does it matter? Nope. Um, and no, it, it 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 doesn't matter. It's it's uh, I mean, it's it's a re- yeah. It's basically to prevent uh, replay attacks, so that if yeah. you try and and if you have a response, you can try to do that again later without. Sure, but I yeah. mean, what what let's let's go with this first scenario here that I'm thinking of. What happens if the the server sends the challenge, and some man in the middle takes that challenge and mm-hmm. and replicates the same steps that that we're going through? So we're we're taking the challenge, we're generating a private key and a, and a public key, we're signing that challenge. But you know what? It's not it's not us. It's somebody else. Um, is that even a is that even a thing? Do people? All right, yeah, I, I can see. So if we're talking about let's let's step, I was um, kind of talking about the authentication step and. Yep kind of jumped over the registration step sure so in the when you're talking about generating a um a private and public key pair for a particular service 
that's that we're talking about the registration step. So let's let's kind of walk through that scenario. Sure. So you're a you're a server. You've generated a challenge for this person has has said, oh, I want to register a security key. Yeah. And so um, it says plug the security key in and, and touch the device. So you plug the security key in. It it sends the challenge down. Let's say that your your Chrome or your browser is uh, has a malicious you know, attacker can do whatever they want in there. Yep. Then you're, so you're saying, so like, what happens if they take that challenge and they change it? Not necessarily change it because the server is still going to expect that that challenge comes back, right? The same one that they sent. Okay. Yeah. So, so what will happen is uh, when as another thing is along with the challenge, that's more data that's sent is the relying party ID. And that's going to be your uh, your domain https.example.com. Sure. So that credential, that U2F, that FIDO credential is being scoped to that particular relying party. Yes. So if you're if you instead try to put in a different um, relying party uh, like attacker.org instead of example.org, then when they try to use that that credential to log in, the relying party is going to see, wait a second, you know, I'm expecting example.org and I see attacker.org. And so it'll fail the, the registration and authenticate or authentication step. But at all, at any time during this process, what I'm, I mean, what if the attacker just says that it's the, the actual ID that, I mean, is there a reason why, um, the attacker would need to use attacker.org or whatever whatever is malicious that they plan on doing. Is, is there a particular reason in that? Or maybe I'm not making sense. That that could be it too. Uh, well, I think kind of the, the the steps in the protocol that kind of help prevent yeah. this, this sort of scenario is uh, the data that is uh, sent by the RP. Yep, it's called like the client data. Sure, so that's the challenge. The relying party ID. Uh, that is all signed by the private key. Got it. So if anybody then once once you, you produce that uh, that response object that yeah. has the um, that the signature in it, basically if if they try to change any of that client data sure. after it's been signed, then that's tamper evident. the The server can know that. Uh, uh, something's changed. And is that based on the on the signature or? Yes, yes. You you it basically hash. Yeah, you it's a it signs like the hash of the client data. Got it. So if that hash, if that checksum doesn't uh, match up, then it it fails registration or authentication. So during the registration phase, uh, what exactly are you setting up? You're setting up a, a public key. Is that correct? Yeah. So so as part of the registration phase, right? Once you uh, you it's you got you get to the point where your you, the the YubiKey or security key is like flashing, and you touch that. Yep, it generates a uh, private and public key yep. and also credential ID, and that is sent back to the server. the The public and credential ID is sent back to the server. The private key is stored in a secure element which cannot be extracted on the so, actual YubiKey itself. Yes. Yep. Uh, and so, so the server is only storing uh, the, you said the client ID, is that what you said, and the public key? So the, the server has, uh, store, can store a couple things. Sure. 
the server, uh, like you, you've got your account, so it can store a user handle. So as part of the spec, uh, as a as a relying party, you can uh, generate an identifier to kind of associate with a a user called like a user handle. Sure, you can send that down to the authenticator, uh, and it'll come back as well. So you can look up um, an authentication event and buy this user handle sure. and find out who who is associated with. Um, the, also, when the authenticator generates the uh, public and the public and private keys, it also generates a credential ID. Yes. So on that response back, after the credential has been generated, the relying party can uh, see what the public ID is and also the credential ID. So it's got two ways to to identify a credential, uh, a user. You've got the user handle and the credential ID. And going back to what you said in, in regards to the asymmetric uh, encryption, nothing that, that ever leaves the, the web browser and the server is uh, considered sensitive. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, it, it's kind of all public information. And it's kind of, by design, it's all public information. And it's just meant, if it's been tampered with, yeah. it's meant to be tamper evident. Sure. So if I, if I for some reason, um, am at an event and I, I, for whatever reason, I'm exposing everything that's being transferred around, I don't need to go destroy my YubiKey and then start from, from scratch, right? Correct. Got it. That's that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, so this this is FIDO UTF U two F, correct? Yeah. Yep. Now, not a, not too many sites. I mean, I guess there's a good a good amount of sites using it. But what what would you say is stopping people from from implementing this? Is it just so new, or? Well, U two F. Maybe think it's complicated. I, I don't know. Kind of started back around in two thousand seven, and it's it's primary been used as that second factor for so you have to have a password, and then the key is the the hardware key is something that you have, right? So you still sure. kind of have, to have that have both. And what I think there was didn't see quite as big of adoption as we were hoping. Uh, but there's the a new standard coming out that builds on top of U2F and sure. adds some new features that enables some uh, new use cases that I think we hope are going to um, have a broader market appeal. And, and what is that? We'll see greater adoption. We're already seeing greater adoption. Yeah. So, what is so, this yeah, new what, extension that you're that you're mentioning? Yeah. So FIDO two. What I mean by FIDO two is actually uh, a collection of two open standards sure uh, the the first so what i would i'd call u2f um i, I would say that there's a, a client to authenticator protocol that's how that client remember i said you got the server the client the authenticator yep if you're talking from the the client to the authenticator that's defined by the client to authenticator protocol hosted on the fido alliance sure and then how the server talked to the um to the client was through a, like a JavaScript app. And so what FIDO2 does is FIDO2 kind of uh, defines that better. It's so if you look at the W3C web authentication API, that basically um, uh, supersedes the, uh, the, the having to have like a JavaScript app in, in, inserted into your, your application. 
Now it's just built, it's going to be built into browsers. So you, um, so that takes a lot of the load off of developers on, on having to add JavaScript code to their, their apps, as well as um, we, there's a new client to authenticator protocol called CTAP2, uh, which adds some improvements. So the, ba- the difference between the two, I would say the big things are uh, FIDO2 allows for a pin to be stored in the secure element of your FIDO2 authenticator. So we were storing, you know, a, a private key. Yes. Uh, now you can also store a pin. So if your device gets lost, if your YubiKey gets lost or whatever, and someone picks it up, uh, they have to have the right pin to be able to unlock any of the capabilities. Uh, that's called like user verification in, in the specs. So that's potentially a third factor of authentication then, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that instead of just a touch, now you have the option of uh, another factor, a pin. Yep, got it. And yep, and another exciting feature of uh, FIDO two is the ability to store client side uh, resident credentials. And so what that is is so instead of so like a, a YubiKey doesn't really store any data on itself, so. They're, they're, it's, it's all, all the data is kind of stored by the, the, the service. Sure. Uh, and so what uh, FIDO2 does is it allows you to store a little bit of, of user data associated on there. So what that allows you to do is uh, now, you remember how I mentioned the user handle, which yes. is kind of a, an identifier to look up a user. Yep. You can now store that with your FIDO2 credential on your, uh, your, on your YubiKey. So that that enables you to, um, like, uh, have a username list um, login because your credential, when you go to authenticate, it'll present the user handle, and your uh, you, your relying party can then use that to look up your username. Now, so does, you now, does this username. assume that um, all your usernames are the same, or is this on a per site basis? This would be, yeah, your privacy is, is a built into the protocol. So every one of your cre- credentials is scoped to each relying party. Got it. Um, yep. So then how much storage, I guess, does the YubiKey with, with FIDO2 allow then um, if, it, if it's on a every relying party kind of basis? Yeah, so it, it really depends on the size of yeah. each of those resident credentials. Um, so yeah, I think we have a you can we can look up the um the YubiKey 5 uh technical specification document. I think sure. it it mentions you know, depending on the size, it could be around maybe 25 resident keys or so. Is and that is that a lot? I I I maybe I'm maybe I have am having trouble visualizing it. Sure. Yeah. So the the way we kind of envision um at least since this is such a new spec we envision a lot of uh, people using resident credentials would be for um, those identity providers that kind of you delegate authentication to, like your your Googles, your Facebooks, your sure. like uh, LDAP. Yeah, like OpenID Connect, right? So uh, you if you're building an app and you don't want to really handle all username. You login authentication, sure. Right, you can. You just um, 
you just delegate that out to the OpenID Connect service and integrate with it, and it you it handles all that for you. Now, one more time, you said the twenty. You, you what was the name that you called for the twenty five slots or uh, resident keys? Resident keys. So, do you need a resident key in order to use FIDO two, or is that just an optional step? No, that that's an additional flow and uh, uh, like user flow. So that's in addition to, so FIDO2 is backwards compatible sure. with U2F. So just like you can have a virtually unlimited credentials with that U2F flow, you can do the exact same thing with a FIDO2 authenticator. Got it. And you said, not, you said that everything for FIDO2 is, is going to be baked in uh, to the browser or based, uh, baked into the W3C uh, spec, right? Yeah, it, that's in the spec and, and, brow- and that... That spec is uh, is going to be ratified very soon. Sure. And uh, then I think if anyone was holding back on, if browsers or any clients were holding back on implementing until the the, the first version was um, solidified, you know that's going to be happening like uh, immediately. So. Uh, so you're saying that it should be start. supported across all of the web browsers because I, you've mentioned Chrome a lot when when we were talking about just uh, U2F. Um, yep. Yep. That that was the the main adoption was uh, was Chrome. The with Fido two, we're already seeing more browser adoption. Uh, if we look at the this the the U two F type flow where it's kind of the the second factor to your password. Yeah. Uh, that's supported in Firefox already. It's supported already in Chrome and in Edge. So so you said yeah. Chrome Edge, Firefox. Did you say Safari? So Safari is, we can see if, if you look at the release notes of their um, technical, is, is Safari technical preview? Sure. Is, is, that, is that what it, yeah. That, uh, you can see they're experimenting with it. Yeah. Now, there's no guarantee that it will make it into the official Safari uh, browser, but uh, it, it shows an, an interest. So, Is there anything that could be done through uh, third-party JavaScript that could add support to it, or is it strictly based on what the browser is going to allow? That's the great thing about open uh, standards yeah. is it doesn't have to be a browser. You can um, develop any client you want to, as long as it's you know complies with the the specification. It'll be interoperable with all these devices and services. And this is different than uh, just standard U2F, right? I was that one did that was that one reliant on the actual browser rather uh, than a JavaScript library? Yeah, it's an open standard, but we the yeah. most usage we saw was through the Chrome All right. browser. All right, but I, but where I'm going with this is I'm saying like, is it up to the creators of these web browsers to include it based on this open standard, or is it something that the developer who is building example.com can add to their web application to support all browsers? Is where I'm going. Yeah. So this. So the yeah. The, the, what what what's happening is is YubiKeys are kind of at that hardware layer or hardware user interface layer. So whatever it is, like if the user is using a browser, that uh, it's going to have to be able to talk to the uh, a hardware device. Sure. And so if you're if you're going through a browser um, that doesn't support talking to uh, uh, like the protocols, so the client to authenticator protocol spec, right? Yeah. There's kind of three main transports that it supports: USB, 
NFC and Bluetooth. Yep. So uh, if your browsers and or there's also like uh, another option is if the browser doesn't support it, a browser can um, prefer a platform library. Let's say Windows has a webauthn.dll, right? That uh, then the browsers could not have to implement it themselves and it can rely on a platform library. You can already, you can see that with Android, like an Android app. Uh, if you Google's, if you go to the Google's developer site, you can find uh, FIDO2 libraries there. So if, if you were, if your app, mobile app wanted to take advantage of uh, this, the FIDO2, the benefits of FIDO2, uh, they can, they can do that. Sure. All right. So when it comes to implementing uh, uh, FIDO or FIDO2 uh, for your, for your web applications, how difficult it is, is it for developers? Yeah, so there's there's kind of two pieces of the web app. It's the it'll be the browser's got to support uh, FIDO two, and then on and then your service has got to implement the relying party operations. And we're finding a lot of uh, open source uh, libraries popping up that kind of implement the spec for you in, in various programming languages. Uh, you can we can see that uh, Yubico has some of these libraries to help you get started. Uh, Yubico has a, a Java WebAuthn server uh, library that you can add to your existing web app, and uh, it it does all that um, uh, val- verification of uh, the signatures and. Uh, and re- like registering a key, like it handles all that for you. you just you can got to hook up the your database to as a, as a as a credential manager basically interface. Uh, that we also have a Python library that uh, you, shows you has a demo. It shows you how to do WebAuthn, uh, but it also includes the CTAP two over USB functionality as well. So if you're wanting to talk to a a YubiKey via Python uh, and FIDO2, you can do that. Uh, we also have a C library as well. Uh, and we're, we're seeing others like MasterCard has a Java Spring framework. Um, we're seeing uh, libraries in Node, .NET, Go, Ruby, Elixir, all of these, uh, whatever your flavor, your, your programming language, there's, there's going to be a library there that's going to help you get a jump start on, uh, on implementing WebAuthn. So when it comes from a developer perspective, you shouldn't really have to worry about adding the second step of support for your users then, right? There's not a whole lot of work involved. Well, the 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 work involved, right? It it I guess it kind of depends on uh how you're implementing authentication, right? If you're if you're kind of a standalone website and you're handling authentication yourself and you want to protect your users accounts with uh the strong authentication, then yeah, basically, there's um, one way that it can be implemented is with four endpoints, right? When you when you a user wants to start a registration process uh, and then finish because it you know it's based on the challenge and response from the authenticator. And same thing for authentication, there would be an, a start authentication and a finish authentication uh, method, and then you, you you're storing the the public ID public key and the credential ID in your database. And then the library handles the validation of the response that was sent from the authenticator. Got it. 
Um, so are there any last minute words of wisdom that you want to give the audience when it comes to just two-factor authentication or securing your web applications or anything along those subject lines? Yeah, well, I would say that that's kind of the the goal of the uh, Ubicode developer program is just kind of help provide a little bit more color and context and background uh, about, around these specifications and to help provide guidance and uh, help you build uh, build the build strong authentication into these apps. So you can always go to developers.ubico.com. We also have some webinars that kind of introduce you to these various concepts that we touched on briefly. And uh, uh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Luke. Um, I'm sure the listeners will will find a lot of value in the material. Um, And maybe we'll have you on a future episode as FIDO2 becomes uh, more final when it comes to the, the spec. That'd be great. It was great talking with you, Nick. I hope you found this episode informative when it comes to two-factor authentication. A few months ago, I actually picked up a YubiKey device um, to try to start using hardware two-factor. This is the YubiKey 5, which does have FIDO2 support. Even though I haven't officially started using FIDO2 um, logins yet, uh, I have been, however, using standard U2F authentication and it's been a breeze in comparison to having to remember all kinds of time-based codes and things like that. From a development perspective, I actually did write a few tutorials on the blog, so the polyglotdeveloper.com. So these tutorials used a variety of technologies. So for example, Vue.js, jQuery. Um, I even worked with uh, PGP. So all of these tutorials relate to how you can do various things with these hardware keys. Um, So it's actually very cool, and there wasn't a whole lot of code involved in any of the scenarios that I used in the examples. Um, So if you're interested in viewing any of those examples, just go to the polyglotdeveloper.com, and then when you use the search functionality, just search for YubiKey, and a few few will pop up. I want to give a special shout-out to DigitalOcean, who's a sponsor of this particular podcast episode. If you're not familiar with DigitalOcean, They are a great service, something that the Polyglot developer has been using for several years now. They offer very affordable and easy to understand pricing models when it comes to their compute services, their object storage, managed Kubernetes. They offer a lot of great things, um, and they're actually very easy to use and get started with. If you want to get started with DigitalOcean, I do have a promo code that you can use. If you go to do.co slash polyglot in your web browser, you can actually get $100 credit towards your DigitalOcean account. Um, So again, this is a a pretty good deal. $100 will get you quite far, and it's something that I highly recommend as far as the service goes. If you're listening to this episode from a service like iTunes or a service that allows for ratings and reviews, it would mean a lot to me if you left it a five-star rating. And then if you could leave it a review, say something nice about the episode. Say something that you learned. So that way... Future listeners can get an idea of what they're getting themselves into and see if they'd like it as well. Um, So again, if you can leave a rating and review, please do. It would mean a lot to me. And this concludes episode number 25.